Welcome, welcome to the Headed Together podcast. I'm your host, not Jill Mokes. Hey, everybody, it's Rebecca Gunter taking over this very special episode of Heads Together podcast because it's our birthday, darling. We're here with our esteemed host, Jill Mokes, who's going to tell us anything and everything about the wild and wonderful, real wilded world of entrepreneurship, how she came up with the idea for this podcast, why she dedicated 52 weeks of relentless authenticity to create a connection with her audience. And I am super excited to find out what she's doing next. I love you, Jilly. Happy birthday. Welcome, welcome to the Heads Together podcast. I'm Jill Mokes and I am obsessed with cutting through the noise when it comes to growing your business. Each week via intimate coaching conversations and inspirational stories, I share what it really takes to get the results you want in a way that feels right to you. I am all about attracting higher ticket opportunities building authentic relationships, and creating the abundant, full-fat version of your dream business. I mean, how many of us have beavered away creating a light version of what we really want? The thing is, I honestly believe when you're outstanding at what you do, there is no limit to what you can achieve. So, are you ready to put our heads together and make it happen? Let's go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chili Heads Together Podcast. Happy birthday to you. If you could see me, I'd be shimmying. I'm shimmying right now into the podcast co-host seat. That was goddamn birthday jazzy. I don't sing in general. I loved that. I got my, I got my, I got my, ready for you to celebrate one calendar year of Heads Together. You did it, girl. You do the thing. I did it. I did the whole year. I didn't miss a single episode. This is the 52nd episode of the podcast. I did it. It's a birthday. It's a year old. Your relentless commitment to it has been something to watch. I don't mean to blow smoke up your skirt, girl, but I don't know that I would have had that stamina. You were relentless about it. There were things that were absolutely tempting to skip an episode, put on some kind of holiday, phone it in on days you didn't think anyone was listening. But you showed up relentlessly about it. And it's been a year. How does it feel? It feels absolutely fantastic. Made all the sweeter by the fact that all my life I've been labeled and have often labeled myself super flaky. A flim flammer, I always like to say. My mum used to say, God, you're such a flim flammer. And 
I'm okay with that about myself in that I think it's okay to be open to failure, to be open to trying lots of different things and some of them work and some don't and some are just big experiments and some are shiny objects and I'm really okay with all of that. But the problem with it is that when I started this project, this podcast, I really made a genuine commitment to myself that I would put out an episode every week. I didn't really overthink it at the beginning. I just said, right, I am going to do this. I'm going to, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be consistent with it. And I'm going to put out an episode every week. I'm so proud of myself that I did that. It's been a year and I'm really open to celebrating this because I think it's important. I think it's important for people as a coach, as a business coach, I'm always talking to clients about what platform are you going to choose? What is your original content platform? am relentless about it. So how can I not walk that walk? So it's been really important to me to not be flaky about this. And I haven't been and I'm proud of myself for that. You were the first person to ever share with me the concept of being in favor of the shiny red tricycle syndrome. And I always thought that was such a compelling concept to kind of break out or unlearn this essentially kind of cultural expectation that you will pick one thing and stick with it that if you see things around in the world and are constantly distracted and are starting knitting and then you're going to try roller skating and then you're going to do bungee jumping for a while then you're going to start a podcast i love that you give people permission in a way or you give yourself permission to not slog through it if you've tried it experimentally and have decided it's a pass for you and it seems like societally we think of that as a character flaw yeah to drop the ball of yarn as they say if you're picking up knitting and you're like hard pass and yet it is the way you can experience life's bouquet how did you kind of overcome hearing your mom and in, in the back of your head calling you a flim flammer and really lean into not doing 52 weeks of heads together podcast because you felt you had to because mom was like chewing in the back of your ear, but because that's what you were choosing to do as the experiment was worth that time commitment. How did you talk yourself through that? God, what a great question. I did it because number one, you're absolutely right. I do give myself permission to chase shiny objects. And there are two things I think in business that we get bullied into believing are wrong for us, for our businesses. One is this shiny object syndrome. And I think there is a fine line between chasing shiny objects and taking that to mean I'm open to experimenting with new things. And sometimes they don't always come at the very moment I planned to try something new. Because I think that's the definition of shiny object. It's not just about experimenting with something new. It's about maybe you have a very well-defined set out business plan for the year. And then suddenly something piques your interest and off you're running like a dog chasing a hare in a different direction. I'm in the camp of I'm okay with doing that as long as I do it with intention every time. And what I mean by that is I make the choice knowing that it wasn't in my original plan to do that. I weigh up whether it is something that I want to try or not. If it's important enough to me, I will do it. I won't be held hostage to a plan that I made in December the year before. 
So I think that's the first thing is that it is about being reactive and about being experimental, but it's about bringing a bit of intention in with that as well and recognizing the difference between something that is a time suck and not where your time is best spent versus an experimentation in something that's really enchanted you. The other thing I think we get bullied into thinking is wrong is the C word, consistency. Now, I made a commitment to consistently put out an episode every week. But again, I would much rather have full intention around connection than consistency. And if I'd have ever had to choose one or the other, I would have skipped a week. So I would not have put out a rubbish episode to tick the consistency box. And I don't believe in 52 episodes that I've done that. I think every episode has been put out with intention. I've been proud of every episode that's gone out. I've liked some episodes more than others. I've loved all of the guests that I've had on, some of the solo episodes. Sometimes there are some I like more than others. But I never put one out just to tick the consistency box. So I think that's the other thing is that I really, I feel quite rebellious about the whole consistency thing. I think it's connection above consistency every time. If you've got to choose one of them, ideally go for both. Aim to be consistent and create great content that has good connection with your audience. But if you have to choose one, choose the connection every time. I don't even know if that remotely answered the question you asked me. I was so inspired in so many pieces of it. And now my head is exploding with questions. <laughs> Consistency. What does it matter if it's a crap product or right? yeah. you don't ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it hit me with it 52 times a year, but I don't like it. So I'm not going to listen to it versus hit me with it 26 times a year, but I absolutely love it. And I'll never forget my experiences with some of those stories, which reminds me of my next question. Girl, tell me about some of those fabulous episodes that you love the most and why. Like, you had to pick your, like, fit. Mm, that's not fair. I can't ask a mother to pick her favorites. But if you had to pick the thing that was the most surprising conversation. Yeah. Completely unexpected. Totally out of the blue that ended up being magical. Can you share something about that experience? I think I probably have to... Talk first about the first episode I ever put out because I was so nervous. It was like going back to when I started the business. And everyone, I've told this story so many times. Everyone knows my story of blocking everyone I knew on social media when I first started my business because I was too embarrassed for anyone to know what I was doing because I felt, felt everyone would judge me and be like, yeah, who's she to call herself a coach, whatever. It kind of transported me back to that when I, I remember putting out that first episode. And I can remember Emily loaded it up for me into Kajabi and we made it live. And I remember almost thinking, oh, my God, I've still got time to take it down before it like travels through the ether to Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts. So I still had that imposter syndrome feeling when I put out that first episode. And yet that first episode was about building the full fat version of your business. The irony wasn't lost on me that I was putting out a solo coaching style episode on not playing small. And yet I was still having that thought of, 
Oh, Jesus, I've still got time to take it down before anyone listens to it. Oh. <laughs> well, you'd already scheduled all the social media and the promotion, so, like... It had to go. It had to go. So that's not true. I've seen you pull back and be like, nope, okay. hard pass. I'm going to pull back on that. I love your ability to make decisions and walk through the fear. Like, show me somebody on the planet who's not going to be fearful the first time they look at that little green dot and have to start talking. Mm. Particularly if you do not have a guest, which you know I already think is a remarkable, a remarkable thing about Heads Together is your ability to talk to the green dot and have a comprehensive conversation that does actually make a connection. I mean, I know we're besties, girl, but there are sometimes like I'm quoting you in conversations with other people. Well, I was listening to a podcast the other day and the host showed this really insightful point. Love it. That is that influential. So it's not, not scary. No matter how confident you appear on camera or you look on paper or your LinkedIn profile makes you appear. You're not human if that isn't nerve wracking and to not kind of freeze in that fear and still step forward on the week after. That's where I'm like, girl, you doing the thing week after week after week after week. Funny about that, though, is that I'm just so glad that you didn't say a particular thing to me before I recorded that first episode and that you waited till after the episode to say it to me. I remember after that first episode went out, you called me and you were driving at the time. I can still remember the actual conversation. You were driving at the time and you said to me, I'm not going to try and do your accent because you know how like that comes off so bad. But what you said was... The, don't you dare make me do yours no. later. Oh, well, yeah, okay? I will make you do that before the end of the episode. Then, all right, it's fair, fair. So you said to me, girl, <laughs> that's the only bit of what I'm doing, girl. You said that, do you realize not everyone can do that? Not everyone can sit and talk to a green dot for 40 minutes and make it sound like you're talking to the people listening. And the answer was, no, I did not know that everyone can't do that. And I'm really glad I didn't know that before I did it, because I think that would have felt like a lot of pressure then if I knew it was something that not everyone could do so well. I remember after you said that to me, I just felt so proud of myself. Oh, my God, I've unearthed a talent I didn't even know I had. And I guess from that moment on, that boosted my confidence for doing the post uh, the podcast so much. And I think my confidence has grown ever since then. And now I don't get any nerves or anything. And I found that the preparation time for the podcast episodes has gone down because I actually really have stepped into the natural, the spontaneity of deciding what I want to say on the day. And it always flows better. I have tried both. I don't know if anyone who listens every week has spotted any of the episodes where I've done a bit more of a detailed outline. I think you can tell the difference. And there's pros and cons to both. Probably there is less scattered information coming across on the solo episodes that I plan a bit better. But I do think it loses a, a little bit of the connection. Because you're not leaning into inspiration or you know, the ability of your mind to kind of as you're talking about it, you're expressing it and then your brain is processing it. And the more you're doing that free fall, essentially, the more space you give for 
new ideas, new connections to come together and to watch that happen or listen to that happen in real time is pretty special. I'll also talk just a little bit more about that fear in connection to the magic or the special talent that you uncovered. What I've learned working with some like really smart people in like leadership and neuroscience and kind of perform high performance that your brain will not innovate or do anything new if it is in fear mode, like it's mutually exclusive. So if you're afraid, you're not going to come up with anything like fresh or new or exciting or grow. And so when you're living in this like space of like perfectionism and fear and imposter syndrome and fear of performance, you know, not quite knowing what to say or what to do, you stay really stuck in that space because that's just how the brain functions. Like you can't, you don't have a choice about being in fear about it. But what you do have a choice about is how you react to it. And if you can just wrangle your reaction to fear, it doesn't mean squash it, but just like go swim with the tide instead of against it. Then what happens on the other side of that expansive personal growth? And that's what happened to you. And it's because you walk through the fear of it. So the Heads Together audience, take anything away from this. It's what the other side of fear is expansive growth and discovery. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that because you are so right. And for me, a lot of the fear was the invisibility, which is ironic as it's a podcast and you can't actually see me, but you know what I mean? It's, it's people hearing my voice, hearing my original thoughts, my ideas. There's nowhere to hide when you're being authentic and giving your own opinions and and sharing your real thoughts there's really nowhere to hide and I think it was so important for me for the podcast to be one that really connected with the audience and therefore I didn't do that over preparation and I think in making that decision to do it that way it was scary. There were parts that were really scary, but it actually gathered momentum quicker. I think the, my confidence grew much more quickly because the feedback I got of how honest and real the conversations were coming across, either the solo episodes or the guest interviews were coming across, were landing so well with people. And, and it turned out that that's what they liked. They didn't care about the bits where I get all my words wrong and to be fair, Lena is an excellent editor who usually makes me sound really good, like I never trip over any words. But Lena, we both know that's not true, don't we? I was really intentional about making it quite real and authentic, authentically me, which is scary. But it also builds momentum because the more you do it, the more you exercise that muscle, the easier it gets realness breeds realness. You can't go back. Once you've made a decision to show up authentically, you cannot go back. It's impossible to go back and pretend to be some other version of yourself. You taught me that very early in our coaching relationship. I had a client, an older vestige from my freelance hustle days where it was you know, trading time for money, doing marketing management stuff. And two years later, I couldn't stand it. I could not stand that work as I had grown into strategy and 
copywriting and, you know, just grown in my career. And you said, because you're at the place you are now and you've evolved in this way, anything else is going to feel intolerable. And I'll never forget that word, intolerable. And I think that in my personal life, the personal life of people around me, my business life, that is so true. When you grow, you know, and I don't want to think about life in a linear fashion, but when you expand yourself and you settle more into the realness, which I definitely want to talk more about, then anything other than that feels intolerable. It's like you took off a mask and it now once you took it off, it, it can't, you can't put it back on because it doesn't fit anymore. Yeah, it's so true. I'm really glad that that stuck with you, that word, because it is the perfect word to describe it. And it's something that I see with lots of my clients that there is something that when they make a change, what they were doing before becomes intolerable. And I think it's our brain's way of cementing our decision to move forward. Moving back becomes intolerable. Well, you'll know what right feels like. Right. Oprah has this famous saying, I'm going to totally misquote, but know what yes feels like. Mm. I, I don't know if I misquoted that or not, but know what yes feels like. If you haven't given yourself permission to be really real, as you say, to live kind of not in the live with the fear instead of in re total gut reaction to it, whether it's, you know, freeze, fawn, flight or fight, then you become just a kind of a different person. Like the part the old person doesn't exist anymore and living as the old person you know, the former self, your little lobster before it got a new shell, whoever that was, it becomes almost a non-negotiable. But if you don't know what yes feels like, then it, it could be confusing. So how do you know what yes feels like to you? Oh, bloody hell, that's a good question. How do you know what yes feels like? Well, I know what it doesn't feel like. It doesn't always feel easy. It doesn't always feel obvious. It doesn't always feel comfortable. So all of the things that you would expect, yes, this is right for me to feel like, aren't necessarily the way it feels, in my opinion. I know what yes feels like for me. I think I feel it in my body, first of all. A yes for me is in the heart area. I can feel it. I'm, I'm putting my hand on my chest right now because when a decision's right for me, and I would say you made reference to this earlier about my decision making. And I would say that of the skills I have, being able to make big decisions reasonably quickly and fairly effortlessly is one of my bigger skills. Do I always make the right decisions? No. But do I find decision making reasonably easy? Yes, because I'm really in tune with my intuition around what a yes feels like. And it is physical. I do feel it in my chest. I feel a no in my stomach. I feel a yes in my chest. So I think that plays a really big part for me. But I also think that yes feels scary and exciting at the same time because usually when I'm thinking about these sort of things and if it's a decision it's usually something that has an element of risk otherwise we make decisions almost on autopilot we do it thousands and thousands of times a day we make decisions about what to do think and say 
and we don't ever stumble over them because they happen so naturally because they're small easy to make decisions it's the big decisions that tend to have an element of like fear in them or nervousness or feeling a bit scared but it's always coupled with this positive feeling of like a light feeling like an excited lifting feeling oh I think that's what it is there's a lifting feeling to a yes and a sinking feeling to a no what an accurate barometer Mm. and Super fascinating when you think about how excitement and anxiety are kind of the same feeling. It's just our reaction to it. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. They are the same feeling. One's a yes, one's a no. Exactly. What a cool barometer. And it does bring me back around to this concept of authenticity, genuineness, being real and being yourself real talk, etc. We hear those words bantied about all the time, like, oh, just be yourself, be real, be authentic, be genuine. What does that even mean? And what does that mean to you? When you say I'm true to myself, to Jill Mokes, what does that mean? How does that manifest in your life and your decisions and your path as a human? I love that question. And I think for me, it isn't always black and white either. I think there are some people for whom you are only being authentic if you're being brutally honest every minute of every day. And for me, that's not what it's about. For me, being authentic is I want to be authentically honest. I want to be authentically kind. I want to be authentically understanding empathic. I want to voice my authentic opinions when I feel it's right to do so. So I'm never going to be the most outspoken person on the block. I'm just never going to be that person because there are times when I choose not to be. That doesn't mean that I'm being inauthentic. It means that I'm intentionally not sharing everything. But what I do share it's always going to be authentic and it's always going to be my real genuine opinions. I'm not going to share someone else's opinion if it's not my own. I'm not going to agree with something for the sake of agreeing with it. I'm happy to have uncomfortable conversations. I know that's right, girl. You are happy to do it. You're happy to look me on the other end of the Zoom. I'm politely calling into question your decision making on this one. That's not what you say at all. That's not the voice you usually do for me. Do it in the normal voice. Also, because I lied completely, you would never say, I'm questioning your decision. You would never say that. You would say, um, regarding the thing, I'm just wondering. Oh, excuse me. Could you tell me a little about your reasoning? How, How did you come up with this idea? That's it. That's what I would do. I would say, how did you come up with this idea? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> Whenever I hear those words from you, I know. That's when I know it's time to make a case for business. And when you challenge me like that, and I've made the case for business, either the case is sound or the case is like, here is Rebecca distracted by another thing that seems really cool to do, but doesn't have the team to do. <laughs> That's actually a song. From now on, that is a song. That was actually really good. I like that. 
Your special talent is talking solo to the green dot. My special talent is making up little jingles. A la minute. I like it. This is a very, very good point, though, because authenticity is not always comfortable. Sometimes it isn't comfortable to have to have a difficult conversation, but it isn't about being blunt. It's not about being rude. It's not about being confrontational or antagonistic for the sake of it. You know, those things. And and I think there's this danger. There's this kind of modern movement that is connecting authenticity with being downright flippin' obnoxious. And I don't think those are the same thing. I heard on the TikTok the other day, unsolicited advice is always criticism. Correct. Yeah. Unsolicited advice, if you don't like it, is always criticism. Unsolicited advice, if you like it, is called feedback. <laughs> That's amazing. My dad used to say, free advice is always worth what you pay for it. Oh, I like that. That's good. He liked to put a disclaimer, that, but that was always his disclaimer. Like I used to call him Tom Disclaimer Layton because there was always a like, well, here's some advice, but keep in mind, disclaimer, free advice is always worth what you paid for it. <laughs> Just to, I guess make it irreproachable. You can't come back and demand a money. There's no money back guarantee on free advice. That. I'd like you to know personally, Jilly, that you have an unrestricted forever pass to offer me unsolicited advice and i will not say it as criticism i appreciate that and the same same because your advice feedback criticism all are really valuable to me so same i think your original question to me and i keep completely oh god imagine if i was interviewing myself it would be a bloody nightmare because i do not i cannot answer a question straight for the life of me i keep rambling off but to your point about authenticity and what it means to me that's what I was just trying to get across was that there are a lot of things it doesn't mean what it does mean to me is never having to check back on what I've said or never having to worry about you know if I change my mind about something I can change my mind about it and talk about that too there's no I don't have to really self-examine every word I ever say because I just authentically share what I'm really genuinely thinking about any particular topic. And because we know that about you, that's why your advice is valuable. When you ask for feedback, well, not you personally, but you in the general sense, ask for feedback or enter into a conversation where hearing an honest opinion would be very, very valuable with a person who is a known yes man who doesn't like to cause problems and likes to be very, very nice, you know, soft-spoken, doesn't really want to give an opinion. It's hard to trust what they're saying is actually their opinion because they never have anything negative to say about anything. So when I really want to know if something is going to have commercial appeal, I'm going to come to a truth teller I'm going to come to the, like, my favorite is the hardest nut to crack in the room. That's, I love to workshop or, or have somebody like a, someone in my inner circle who is a really tough nut to crack. Because if I can like get through and evolve whatever it is I'm working on and then, and the tough nut cracks, 
then I know that we'll have the project will be better, has been better from butting up against that negative opinion until you're able to impasse whatever the pushback is. You know, the pushback is there for a good reason. Either, you know, that doesn't make sense to them or they're seeing something problematic or, you know, there's a better way to do it. All of that feedback makes your project better. So, you know, what I love about the way that you have this absolute commitment to being genuine, even when it hurts, being genuine, but not by design, like for the good of the work, for the good of the relationship. I think it's my duty to do that. You know, I call myself a business coach, but there's much more mentorship goes on than coaching, to be fair, because the clients who come to me, a lot of them are coaches themselves, and they tend to have similar background to me. A lot of the women that I work with have a similar background. They may have been in corporate or, you know, and have come into coaching a a little later. And I think one of the toughest things for me is that I can't, as their mentor, I can't just agree with everything that they say. I can't. It would be such a disservice. For me to just agree with every idea, whether I think it's a good idea or a bad idea, you know, what on earth would they be paying me for? That's not to say that my ideas are always right. That's not to say that we can't have a healthy debate over it. And you said the exact phrase earlier, which is that when I disagree with something that you're planning, you said, that's when I know I've got to put the business case for it forward. And that is what you will do really well. You'll say to me, okay, but hear me out here's why I want to do this. Here's the background to the idea. This is what I've taken into account. This is what I'm taking into account. You know, I've already anticipated this and here's how I would deal with it. And I think then it, but that's coaching. That is coaching. So facilitating that conversation and getting you to have that thought process, that's the greater good. That's the rubber stamping an idea that on the face of it might not look like the best idea to me. But once I've got the background, then I get it. And sometimes making the case for business proves that I have a blind spot. Right. Your perspective allows for this really cool kind of balance or, you know, check and balance of when I'm so deep down the rabbit hole, I forget that not everybody knows what I'm talking about Mm. because you just get really deep in your expertise Mm. and you just start talking and you're, you're like, hello, not everybody knows what you're talking about. You have to pull back. You have a trusted perspective. And I'll also add that the reason that your perspective is trusted and the way this trust is built is not that Jilly is an island who knows all the things, but that you will bring this kind of like authentic experience and kind of future casting and relevance and context to the table in problem solving. And... You learn from your clients, which I think is like the world's greatest unspoken benefit to being a coach or a consultant, because every single client is a masterclass in their thing. And as you have a well-rounded client roster, what happens is you're bringing stuff to the table with one client that you learn from another expert where it's relevant and their connections. Just like I said, oh my God, I have a client who's a neuroscience enthusiast and she brings that to high performance coaching. And this is what she told me about fear and innovation. That 
inspired our conversation. So you're bringing this like robust ecosystem in your brain and in your understanding of the world to every single client facing situation, which means that your self-directed education is so nuanced that of course we trust your opinion. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad you said that. I could not have put it better. But that is that exact thing you have just so eloquently described, which is how I learn so much from every client I ever work with, that my brain is this amalgamation of of everything that I've learned from working with such a broad spectrum of incredible women. But it's also what's inspired my what's next, which I'm really excited to stop talking about today. I thought you would never get there. Of all the time I've been working with you, you have bounced around this beautiful little cupcake of an idea of a program that would feel authentically you. And the problem we were coming up against with for a very long time was it never felt authentically you because there was just some misalignment. Group coaching just wasn't my thing. One-to-one coaching and the level of transformation that comes within that one-to-one container was such that anything less felt disingenuous it felt like it was never going to be as good as and I think there's an argument to say that group coaching can't necessarily be the same as one-to-one coaching but quick drum roll (laughs) this spring I am launching Rise Together which is an intimate mastermind experience. Ah. Thank you. And for those of you listening now, this is my take on going back to what I believe masterminds were intended to be. And that it, because I think there's this habit now where people will just call a, a group program a mastermind and put a higher price tag on it. And that's not what a mastermind is. A mastermind is where an intimate group Uh, For me, it's an intimate group of women, of coaches and change makers, come together without hierarchy. This isn't me standing at the front of the room like the teacher in front of a blackboard. It is about the group dynamic being greater than any one teaching could ever be. And I think that's why I've called this rise together. It's the mastermind aspect of it is so much more important than any one guest speaker, any one coaching session that I'll give. Yes, I'll be coaching. I'll be delivering high level business coaching within this mastermind container. But the true transformation is going to come by this group of women building relationships that are going to last a lifetime. I've seen what happens. You and I know what happens when you have someone in your life who you can trust implicitly to have your back and to give you good advice and to be able to bounce ideas off and tell the real truth to. You know, I think there's a lot of lip service paid to. This is a safe space. Da, 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 da. I don't see how a huge group experience where there's like a Zoom room with 100 people on it, I don't get how that's a safe space. That would never feel like a safe space for me. If I'm in a safe space, I want it to be with people that I have the opportunity to get to know really well. 
I want them to have similar goals to me. I want them to understand the challenges I have and for me to understand theirs. So for me, that's what real masterminding together is. It's working together as a group to lift the visibility, the quality, the reputation, the financial status of each business within that container. Damn, that is a mic drop. I can't even imagine the Jilly I met in 2019 dropping that little speech. And now I've got to come at you with another one of those. I was working with a client the other day and I learned this thing. I was working with a client the other day who specializes in helping people build their careers. And I don't mean recruitment, but how do you start in one place and advocate for yourself on a journey through corporate, her specialty is corporate. But what I learned from her is the absolutely underestimated and untapped power of cohort-driven professional development. She called it lateral relationships versus hierarchical relationships. I think that's incredibly important. And it's why, so for Rise Together, there will be an application and interview process because I was talking to a client the other day who's already registered for the first cohort. And I was explaining to her that it's so important to me to have the right people in this cohort that I would rather it was three of us than let anyone in to make up the numbers. That will never happen in this. It will never happen. I will run the cohort with a lower number rather than taking a single person that isn't absolutely right. And I think that is so important. Oh, good question. Julie, who's absolutely right? I'm not going to take anyone who's not absolutely right. Tell us about what that means. Yeah. Okay. So the women that are going to be absolutely right for this are women who, and this is going to sound really trite, but women who are ready, women who are ready for what's next for them. So these are women who know changes afoot in their business. They've been playing small. They're not in alignment with their values, potentially. It could be that they have achieved a certain level of success with their coaching practice, but now they need to leverage what they've achieved already to scale. It could be that they have a coaching practice that they struggle to find the right clients because they've been playing small. Maybe they're undercharging. Maybe they're affecting the perception of their own service by by this playing small, this not stepping into their next phase of their business. And I think this mastermind is where each woman is going to be ready to commit to the next phase. And that can be a scary thing. That's why this has to be a very safe space, because there are going to be big decisions to be made, brave decisions to be made. There are going to be changes to be made to the way you do things. What's got you here won't get you there. And I think what these women will have in common is that there is a big why driving them. I made reference to these are coaches and change makers. These women have a message. They have a message. The clients who are lucky enough to be coached by them are getting the benefit of that message. But this is a message that's deserving of more visibility, 
much more exposure. I talked earlier about how, you know, the podcast is my original content platform and how I urge everyone to have that. These are women who may have up until now paid lip service to that platform. Maybe they put out a blog every week and see what happens, or maybe they've got a YouTube channel that they upload a video to every now and then. I'm talking about getting these women into real recognized authority territory where they have a real visibility goal for this platform to get their message out there. That is who is ideal. Women on a mission with a message who are ready. Who are ready to face and renegotiate their relationship with fear. Bringing us right back to the beginning of this episode of swimming with that tide rather than against it. I can't think of a more rewarding way to come through fear of change, growth, expansion than with a small cohort of other women who are also experiencing that. And, you know, I guess if we're talking about rising tides and lifting all boats, etc., rather than doing that in a, in a solo situation. Yeah. Also share for anyone who's thinking about this program or more curious about this program, which I'm sure you can learn about in the show notes, etc. Oh, you definitely can. When you shared this program with me, what hit me right where I live, what made me say I have to have that in my life is you expressed that this is for people whose reputation and income were not commensurate. Oh, thank you for remembering that I said that because that's probably one of the big things that these women are going to have in common. Say more about that phenomenon of entrepreneurs that you run into throughout your professional journey that are in this kind of similar camp in which their reputation and their income don't match. They aren't commensurate. There's a real disconnect between reputation and income. How does that happen? What's the way through that? And what kind of people fall victim to that scenario? I seem to see this happen a lot with and it's so unfair because it's actually what happens is that people who are outstanding at what they do, who have such a genuine message to share, who have a real defined purpose that's driving them forward. For some reason, those people seem to find it the hardest to value their worth value what they do enough to charge a high ticket price tag for what they do. And often it's with the best of intention. It's often I hear it's because they want to be accessible to more people. They want to help more people, which I totally get. And you know, I've always been of the mindset, well, that is fantastic. So then let's increase your prices so that you can then have a more sustainable business and help more people in the long run so that you can then create scholarships so that you can help some people for free who can't afford to pay you anything, right? This isn't about being bullied into charging more for the sake of it because you're greedy. That's, it's nothing to do with that. This is about creating sustainable business for the long haul that is going to really change lives, change the world potentially. So I think it tends to be that these very purpose-led women struggle the most with attaching value to that in terms of what they charge. 
They know the value. They know the value of their message, but they don't always want to equate it in monetary terms because up until now that's felt wrong to them on some level. Or there's another camp where they don't have a problem with charging, but they haven't really realized that there is an option for them to leverage what they do. So they may be stuck in one-to-one coaching. Now, I am doing this now. This is really the first leveraged or uh, group cohort-driven experience that I've launched for a long time. And because for me, I adore one-to-one coaching. I'm not giving up one-to-one coaching. Nothing is changing in that. This is something in addition to my one-to-one coaching practice. But there are some women who feel stuck in that one-to-one practice and don't know how to leverage their time and introduce a more group-focused offer of some kind. And I think either of those camps, what happens then is that they are outstandingly good coaches. They have outstandingly powerful messages to share, but their income doesn't reflect that because they're either undercharging or they're not leveraging their time. And also, I think the third thing and something that we'll be doing a lot of work around in Rise Together is that they haven't mastered the art of relationship marketing. And they've got caught up in social media and algorithms and funnels and all the things without actually taking a breath and working out what are the ways that I want to show up in my business? How do I want to be visible? How do I want to get leads? How do I want to sell what I do? They have been caught up in the flow, the tidal wave of guru-based advice around marketing. And I think the in Rise Together, in the inside this container, we're going to explore, because it's going to be an intimate mastermind, we are going to be able to come up with really detailed marketing plans for each business, not a generic one size fits all. Well, you know, you're hitting me right where I live with relationship marketing. So we'll get back to that if we have time. But I think that you're missing kind of a a fourth quotient that folks are craving in their life, and that's the visibility. So I think there's also anemic visibility factor that's kind of going into the program that is a problem that will resolve itself through the sheer work of cohort-driven learning is my guess. Yeah, I think the visibility one is huge. And inside the cohort, there are going to be opportunities. Obviously, we've got the Heads Together podcast. I mean, I will want everyone inside to be coming on the podcast and really using that platform, use my platform. There is going to be a resource hub inside of the container in which there's going to be a ton of templates and workbooks and all of that kind of normal stuff you'd expect. But the difference is I want them to take that, make them your own, use them all as templates, use my content. I don't mind. Make it your own, tweak it, do what you like with it. And then other ways of becoming more visible. So we already have Write Club and I'll be inviting members to join that, which is where we just write in silence together for an hour each week. Because one of the things I found with my clients at the moment is having some accountability to come together and write is really, really needle moving. 
for some reason, coming together, lighting a candle and writing in companionable silence for an hour is that anchor in the week where they know they're getting some content created. This is the lift in visibility that I want people to have when they join Rise Together. It's bringing in some practices into their business, some rhythms, some routines where every week that business is moving forward because they have so much clarity. They're going to have so much clarity. People who join me will never, ever have felt so clear on where they are going to take their business to than they will have after they go through this container. And equally as important, momentum. You cannot have momentum in a group like that, led by a person like you, in my opinion. Thank you so much. Thank you. I am so excited for Rise Together, and I cannot wait to be a part of it. And as we wrap up this birthday episode, I can't end it without asking what's the future of Heads Together, the podcast is going to be like. What do you see for the next year? What are your hopes and dreams? Maybe a pie in the sky aspiration. Give it to a straight girl. What can we expect in our earbuds next year? I can already tell you that I have some incredible guests lined up already for this next year. So watch this space for that. I've got some people in my world who I never thought I would be able to interview and have the pleasure of interviewing. So I'm very excited about that. I think for this first year was about building it. It was about getting into a rhythm of recording. It was about Emily and Lena and I working together to get this incredible behind the scenes workflow set up to make sure we're getting these episodes out every week. So I think this first year has been quite a learning curve but now I feel really comfortable that we can take this podcast wherever we want it to go now you know we're at this place now where we can really try different things maybe maybe we'll bring in some extra episodes some bonuses maybe we'll bring in some special series that people can download oh my god special series special series special series yep absolutely We're also, um, for Rise Together, there's going to be a private podcast for that group. But for Heads Together, I think expect more of the same plus. So there's still going to be solo coaching episodes. There's still going to be interviews with incredible women. There's just going to be maybe more of it. More full fat from Jill Mooks in all the ways. I can't wait to spread you on my business toast, baby. Oh, you are the best. Thank you so much. It's been an amazing year. And I just want to thank, oh my God, I feel like an Oscar nominee. (gasps) Oh, this is my moment. I would just like to thank, first of all, my team. So I'm going to thank Lena and Emily who have really just worked so hard to get this up and running. But very, very, very importantly, I want to thank you, Rebecca, because you are always there behind the scenes with me, helping me, giving me feedback, giving me advice, there for me to bounce ideas off, however crazy they are. And your advice and input is so valuable to me. And of course, every now and then you take over the show, which is just one of the funnest things ever, like today. Uh, I pretend to take over the show, but you still pull the wagon, sweetheart. Rarely can I wrest the reins from you. You've got utmost grace and panache and you just let me think that i'm taking it over which is a gracious gift 
Well, thank you. And thank you so much for coming and doing this birthday episode with me. There's no one I would rather spend my birthday with. By the way, it's not my real birthday, so don't send me presents. <laughs> oh, uh, cancel that. Send her presents for sure. <laughs> Chocolate darling and boiled dinner. Boiled dinner. Can you can you imagine? That is boiled dinner. We're going to have to unpack that one one day. Brits, she thinks we all eat boiled dinner. I don't even know what that is. Do you? No, me neither. Uh, tell the podcast audience at home what your favorite birthday meal is, please. Uh, well, actually, when I was a child, my favorite birthday dinner was like boiled potatoes, boiled peas, and like kind of boiled mints and onions and gravy. Yeah, that that was boiled. That was actually my it was actually my favorite dinner. I I kind of am craving it now. I might have to get Dave to try and make it. That would be a beautiful birthday present. Thank you for allowing me to come to your party. My birthday hat is firmly planted on my head for the rest of the day. I love you so much. I love this podcast. Thank you for all the times you've let me come and play here in your sandbox and I celebrate your 365 days of awesomeness. Thank you so much. And obviously, I will put a link in the show notes for all the stuff we've been talking about. And there will also be a link if Rise Together is something you would like to register an interest in, then we do have a little opt-in and I'll pop a link in the show notes to that as well. Like I say, there will be an application but that's not open yet. But if you want to just register your interest, it's jillmokes.com forward slash rise dash register dash interest. Yeah. So thank you. Speaking of dash. Let's dash. Let's dash, darling. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that getting our heads together this week has filled your mind with what's possible. If you love the show, would you do me a massive favour, please? Would you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts? It would really help you put more heads together, reach more ears and expand more minds. Until next week, bye for now. Bye.